Well, this morning we have the Thompsons who are going to lead us in the reading of God's word. Lesson from the Epistles. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evident against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth at luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous people. He does not resist you. The word of the Lord. Please stand for the lesson from the Gospels. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, to not be, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. 
Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags and do not grow old. With the treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will, there will your heart be also. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. morning. All right, kids, you ready? I got some riddles for us. And as we think about these riddles, I want you to also know that there's two themes that all of these riddles kind of relate to. And so as you're thinking about what the answer to these riddles might be, also be thinking about what do all of these riddles relate to. All right, first one. What kind of woman would be sad if she lost 20 pounds? Anybody? (laughs) No, a British woman. Okay, pounds, dollars for them are pounds. All right, yesterday, Jessica and Mary went to the cafe for some coffee. The total was $6, and they divided the cost equally. Jessica paid $2, and Mary paid $2. Well, who paid the last $2? No, yesterday. The third friend's name is yesterday. It's early today? Come on, we gotta. Here, here. What are, where are you guaranteed to always find money? What's that? Onion? You find money in the onion? Mm, I've never heard of that one. That was a good guess, though. Yes. ATM, maybe. Not the answer I'm looking for, though, yes. Piggy bank, very close. No, the answer is a dictionary. I see maybe some of us knew that one. Uh, speaking of piggy banks, how many coins can you fit into an empty piggy bank? Yes. 500, good guess, a little high. None. No, very close though. Yes, Ryan. A thousand, also close, but the answer is one. You can only fit one coin into an empty piggy bank because once there's one coin in it, it's no longer empty. All right. Uh, <laughs> a man takes his car to a hotel and is immediately bankrupt. What happened? Yes. He's playing Monopoly. Very nice. Okay, so that was one kind of group of riddles about one theme. The next ones are about something else. What is always coming but never arrives? Yes, in the very back. Tomorrow, very good. What has a face and hands but no eyes or mouth? Cockroach, who said cockroach? Yes, a clock, very good. These are a little easier, I guess. What comes once in a minute, twice in a moment, but never in a thousand years? The letter M, everybody else raise their hand. What always gets bigger and goes up but never comes down and never gets smaller? Yes. Your age. Very good. Why are Saturdays and Sundays so powerful? Particularly Sundays. But why are Saturdays and Sundays so powerful? Yes. I'm guessing I I couldn't hear that one. Yes. 
Uh, that is a very good reason, and I agree. But what about Saturday? Why are Saturday and Sunday so powerful? Yes. You don't have school? Yes. Very close. Because all of the other days are weekdays. Okay, well, here's another last one. If you're fans of The Hobbits, or The Hobbit, this thing all things devours. Birds, beasts, trees, flowers. It gnaws iron, it bites steel, it grinds hard stones to meal, slays kings, ruined towns, and beats high mountains down. What is it? Yes. It is time. So, I say we have two themes in all of these riddles. Anybody know what the two themes are? Any guesses out there? Yes. It goes up like time, you're saying? Yes. Who said money? Money and time. This morning, we are going to be talking about money and time, because that's what our passage is about. Our passage in James, chapter 4, verse 13, all the way to chapter 5, verse 6, I think it's very uh, clearly you would know it's about money. Ostensibly, it seems like the main topic is money, but I'm actually going to try to show that the main topic of this passage is actually time. Yes, it is about money. It's it's about the way that we pursue money, sometimes wrongly, how we go about acquiring it, and how we go about spending the money that we have acquired. But money, at the end of the day, is just a story that that we tell ourselves. It's a symptom, money that is, of a deeper condition. In other words, it's just like everything else we've been talking about in the book of James. Money is an external sign of an inward disposition of our hearts. In short, money reveals our hearts. In our passage this morning, we see in particular how money reveals how our hearts wrestle with this issue of time. Specifically, we're going to look at the troubles that come from not knowing whose time it is and not knowing what time it is. So please pray with me. Dearly Father, we thank you for this morning. We do thank you for this time that you've given us to share on this beautiful Sunday morning. Help us see, Lord, that all time belongs to you and that it's given to us as a gift, that in these, the short time that you've given us here on earth, that we can do things that are, truly do matter, that are of lasting significance, even of eternal significance. Father God, I pray that you would make us good stewards of both our money and our time, acknowledging that everything that we have is a gift from you to be used for your glory and your good. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right, so as I mentioned, we're, this morning we're talking about the troubles that come from not knowing whose time it is and not knowing what time it is. So we're just going to ask two questions, one from the first half of the passage and the second from the second half. The very first question we're going to ask is, whose time is it? That's whose, W-H-O-S-E, meaning to whom does time belong? Read with me then in our passage. This is James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. Come now, you say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town. We'll spend a year there. We'll trade and we'll make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. 
So as we begin at this passage, at first glance, these words in verse 13, don't they seem so normal? Something that I might have said myself many times throughout my own life, maybe not with the same specific words, but similar words about making plans and setting goals. Like, isn't that something that we all do? What's wrong with making plans and setting goals? For instance, if your child comes to you and they, have, they share with you some desire or something that they want, don't you also want to ask, well, what's your plan? Do you have a plan to acquire or achieve what you want to do? We don't want our children to believe that success comes without things like forethought, hard work, determination, perseverance. So on the one hand, plans are a good thing, and I think we should value them. But the problem that James is talking about here is not about making plans per se, but it's about presumptuous planning, meaning presuming a future that ignores any place for God in it. In response to the question that I mentioned for us this morning, whose time in it, the person in verse 13 would respond, it's mine. My time is mine. I'm in control. I'm the one who determines my destiny. To which James responds with two very stark truths about all of our lives. Number one, none of us, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Number two, our lives are merely a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So basically, one, our knowledge is very limited, particularly as it relates to the future. Number two, our lives are short. This word that's used as a mist is like the morning mist that comes and then by noonday it's gone. Or like the breath that comes out on a cold day. You see the breath appear right before you and as soon as you see it, it's gone. Our life is a mist. And no one, not just the Christian, but no one knows what tomorrow will bring. That's been true for all of human history. And all the ancient Greek philosophers, they agreed. Ancient Greco-Roman wisdom acknowledged the same truth. For instance, the great Roman Stoic philosopher and statesman, his name is Seneca, he writes the following. He says, He who was venturing investments by land and sea, he who has also entered public life and left no business untried, during the very realization of financial success and during the very onrush of the money that flowed into his coffers, this man was snatched from the world. But how foolish it is to set out one's life when one is not even the owner of the morrow. Seneca sees it. He says the exact same thing. He said, at the height of this man's success, his life was taken away. What good is making plans when you don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring? It sounds similar to what James is saying, right? Except there's one very important difference. Even though we both acknowledge that neither of us knows what tomorrow will bring and that only one of us knows what time it truly is, You see, the Stoic, like Seneca, he believes that the universe has a cosmic order. But it's impersonal. It doesn't care about you. It doesn't care about me. But the Christian is different. The Christian recognizes that the universe does have order because it's given an order by a personal God who became flesh and cares about you and me. You see, it's not simply enough to know that your knowledge is limited and that your life is short because all of these facts point to a greater truth. James is pointing us to the truth that all of our lives are contingent and dependent upon our creator, God. So the proper question, or the proper answer to the question, whose time is it, comes at the beginning of verse 15. As the Lord wills. As the Lord wills. 
Meaning, even though we don't know what will happen tomorrow, there's someone who does know what will happen tomorrow. Even though we're merely a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes, in the eyes of God, we truly do matter. We are mists that matter. Our lives matter and our actions matter. And because of this, we're called to live life with an attitude of what I'm calling an as-the-Lord-lives attitude. An as-the-Lord-lives attitude, which says this, as we make our plans is our primary consideration that we belong to the Lord. That all of our time and our very lives belong first and foremost to the Lord and creator of all. So what are examples of things that we plan for? One thing I thought of was like retirement. And I don't know if you're familiar with these. They have these online retirement planners. I don't know if you've seen these. But you can go to a website and what you do is you put in various factors. Like you put in your age, anticipated expenses, your risk tolerance, and all these things. And then it spits out this magic number. This is how much you need to save every month so that at a certain date in the future, you'll be secure in retirement. Not once, though, have I ever seen a calculator online ask the question, whose time is it? It never asks you, to whom do you belong? It fails to ask the most important questions. Because retirement is really, more about do- it's mo- much, really about much more than dollars and cents. It's about time. It's about who that time belongs to. Both before you, quote-unquote, retire... And after it, it's really about your purpose in life for which God created you, the value of work, what you truly value in this life and how you choose to spend your money. Again, James is not saying planning is a bad thing. It's not wrong to be responsible and save for retirement. That's not what I'm trying to say. But what's wrong is doing so in a completely independent and divorced way from God. What are other things that we plan for? Kids, some of you may plan to go to college one day. I don't know when it's too young to start thinking about college. But for some of you, that may be something that you've already thought about. And there are so many different things to consider. Probably what your parents are concerned about is tuition cost. There's a very wide range of costs in various colleges. We're also concerned about things like what city is it in? How far is it away from your home? What are you going to study in college? Are your friends going there? Do you want to go somewhere where you don't know anybody? Or do you want to go somewhere that's more comfortable, where you have already a friend group established? What's this culture of the school like? Does the school have a good football team? These are things that people think about when they consider where they want to go to college. But what kind of questions would you ask if you had a as-the-Lord-wills kind of attitude? Instead, you'd ask whether there's a church nearby that school that preaches and lives out the gospel in order that while you're in college, that you could be involved in that church, that you could grow in your faith. How high on your list of importance is the growth of that faith and the development of the gifts that God has given you and a vision to serve God with all of your life that's going to be developed during your time in college? Is that important to you? That's what James is asking. And it's not just the big things in life, the big decisions that we make. When are we going to retire? How much money will we have? Where are we going to go to college? Who am I going to marry? But really, it's the everyday. And that's what James is saying. He's not saying you can't predict five years from now. He's not saying you can't predict next year. He's saying you can't predict tomorrow. And I'm a planner. I don't know if there's any other planners out there. But I'm a planner. I know many of you are as well. 
And my whole upcoming week next week is already laid out. I have a plan for what I'm going to do Monday through Friday next week. The question is, do I make these plans for each day with an as-the-Lord-wills attitude? Or do I think, this is my day, this is my week, this is my life to do with what I please or with the wisdom as I see fit? And one way to determine whether you view your life and your time as yours or as God's is how do you handle disruptions or interruptions in your life? How do you respond when things don't go according to your plans? Does anyone here love to be interrupted? Like you have your whole day planned, you have everything set, everything's going to work out perfectly, and then a surprise phone call comes up. Or a sick child a friend in need, unexpected crisis at work? Who rejoices in those moments? One person among us, possibly a little bit. Or perhaps there's larger disruptions in your life as well. A prolonged sickness, failed relationship, business deal gone sour. Or maybe you just wake up one morning and you think to yourself, this is not the way I planned for my life to go. How do we respond to these kinds of events in our lives? And to me, this is one of the greatest and most incredible things about Jesus. Because if you read about Jesus in the Gospels, doesn't it seem like he's never bothered? And like his entire life is just a series of interruptions and disruptions in his life. But he almost seems to welcome these occasions. Because I think that Jesus understands in a way that we often struggle with, that interruptions are often the way that God himself inserts himself into our lives, despite our own efforts to relegate him to the margins. Right? Because we make our plans with our desires, and God's there, but oftentimes he's on the outside. But those interruptions and disruptions in our life, those are God forcing himself into the picture of our lives. Jesus himself describes his own life philosophy as one of complete alignment with God the Father. In John chapter 5, he says this. Jesus says to his disciples, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. So why is Jesus never bothered by interruptions? Because his entire life purpose is to be aligned with the Father. And he recognizes that when those things come, that's God placing those things into his life for a purpose. As the Lord wills. Jesus understands that. And when you live with that same kind of perspective, with the perspective that your time is not your own, but that the sovereign Lord wills things into your life for your good, then you can respond to life differently. It allows us to accept, first and foremost, the reality of our lives. The things that James said on one level, could be very depressing. You don't know anything about the future. And what you know about the future is that your life is short. And if you just stop there, it's very sad. But what James says is that if you recognize that you are wholly dependent upon a good and sovereign God, that even though your lives are short, they can be rich and meaningful. That you can make plans, but you don't have have such a tight grip on them. You can see the disruptions that you encounter not as obstacles but as opportunities because it's not what you will, but it's what the Lord wills. You can then ask in those situations which you did not choose or plan but the Lord, that the Lord has brought into your life, 
You can ask God, how are you using this situation in my life to draw me closer to you, to make me more like your son, to use me as a channel for your blessing to those around me? Those are the kind of questions we can ask when we have an as the Lord wills attitude. We're not so focused on accomplishing our plans, but we're open to what God desires to do in and through us. So whose time is it? It's not our time, but it's God's time. The second question then is, what time is it? All time belongs to God, but what is this time that he owns? James chapter 5 continues, verse 1. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded and their corrosion is evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, they are crying out against you. The cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your heart in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Now, it's very clear that this person does not recognize that all time belongs to the Lord. But he also doesn't know what time it is either. And the clue for the answer to the question, what time is it, is found at the end of verse 3. When James says, you have laid up treasure in the last days. Now, what does James mean by the last days? Well, the last days is a technical term, actually, that comes from the Old Testament. But it's a time that refers to when God, as sovereign Lord over all of his entire creation, he's going to fulfill all the promises that he's made to his people. He's going to bring about his forever eternal kingdom in which all of God's enemies will be defeated and subjected, and his people will live in peace and flourishing under the good reign of his chosen Messiah. That's the last days. That's, that's what all the people in the Old Testament were looking forward to. That's what the people at Jesus' day were looking forward to, the last days. And the New Testament authors, they adopt the same language, but they adapt it with somewhat of a surprising twist. Because the New Testament authors, as a result of Jesus' words and his actions, they recognize that the coming of God's kingdom is actually a two-stage process. Now, in the Old Testament, many people believe that God would do everything all at once. But here, through Jesus' words, what he's revealed to us and what we know from Holy Scripture, God reveals that it's actually a two-stage process. The first stage is that the Messiah comes once to establish his kingdom. And he does so through his death and his resurrection. And the second stage is when he returns to fully consummate or bring to completion that kingdom. So whenever you read last days in the New Testament, it's actually talking about the time in between. The time in between Jesus' kingdom was established and when he will return to fulfill it. And that's the time period of the entire New Testament. And that's the time period that even we are living right now. These last days are what theologians have already also called the already and not yet. I don't know if you've heard that before, but it's a really helpful concept to understand the times in which we live. We live in the already not yet, meaning the kingdom of God is already here. It is a true and present reality, but it's not yet complete, right? We already experience the blessings of God's kingdom, but we don't know its fullness. As we sang earlier, we still walk by faith in the already, but not yet by the sight of the not yet. So hence, we are all now living in the last days. 
I know that can kind of sound weird, especially in our culture. People who are so focused on the last days seem like these kind of crazy people who are always looking for signs about the end of the world. Every conflagration, every war, every natural disaster, as tragic as they are, are interpreted as signs of the ends of the time. But that's not what Jesus said. And Jesus has really helpful words for us to understand what it looks like to live in the last days as we are now. He says this in Matthew chapter 4, or sorry, Matthew chapter 24. This is Jesus teaching in the book of Matthew about the last days. This is verse 36. But concerning that day and that hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. So what Jesus is referring to is when Jesus were turning to fully consummate the kingdom of God. And what he's saying is nobody knows when that's going to happen. I don't even know. But he says this, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood there were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the very day that Noah entered the ark, they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all the way. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying we don't know when he'll return. No one can know. In fact, later on the same passage, Jesus commands his followers to always be ready. Why? Because Jesus come at any moment. Not only can he come at any moment, he says, the Son of Man is coming an hour that you do not expect. When will Jesus come? The time you least expect him to. So not only do you not know when Jesus is returning, but it'll be a time that nobody expects. And Jesus says that the only thing you'll know that the days leading up to his return will be like the time of Noah. And what does he mean by that? I think what he means is that during the days of Noah, there were no rain clouds on the horizon. He says people were still eating and drinking, being given in marriage and getting married. Life seemed like it was continuing just the way it always had. There were no signs given of a coming flood, except for one thing. How did Noah know that this flood was coming? He had the promise of the word of God. That was the only indication that Noah was living in the last days before the flood. And like Noah, we too have the promises of the word of God. So don't live your life as if you're unaware of what's coming. It's very easy to get lulled into, like in the days of Noah, the normalness, the continuity, the sameness of life. It doesn't seem any different as it always has been. But don't live life as unaware of what's coming. James says, yes, you don't know what tomorrow will bring, but you do know, because God has revealed it to us, you do know what the future will bring. You do know what the ultimate future is. And because of you know what time it is, the last days, and you know what the future will bring, the very last thing that you should be doing during the last days is laying up earthly treasures. James is saying, if you know what time it is, then you're not going to be storing up treasures in heaven. Now, I'm going to share a story about our son. I got permission to share this earlier, so don't worry. But I think it helps to illustrate this very point. So Nathaniel was in fourth grade when COVID came and shut down all of our schools. But in his fourth grade class, 
you were able to earn points for good behavior. I, I think a lot of classes do that, right? So teachers want to incentivize good behavior, so you're able to earn points. And then you could redeem those points in the future for various rewards. Now, many kids spend points right when they get them. Immediately. Doesn't matter. Whatever, whatever I can afford, I'm going to spend those points. Not Nathaniel. Nathaniel, though, he was saving his points. You could even say he was hoarding his points. And he had a plan. And that plan was to spend this hoard of points at the end of the year so that he can chew as much gum as he wanted and they could have multiple days of doing electronics because that's what the reward was. But he did not know what tomorrow would bring. COVID came, shut down the school, and all of his points were forfeited, never to be redeemed. Still think about those 190 points. What could have been? Now, if Nathaniel had known about that upcoming COVID pandemic and school shutdown, do you think he would have or should have continued storing up all of his hard-earned points? No. You'd be crazy to do that. What do you do? You spend them. You spend them because you know what time it is. Because you're living in the last days before the COVID pandemic, and you better spend those points, and if you don't, you'll lose them forever. The point is clear. If you know what time it is, and if you know what's coming, then it's clear how you ought to live. In the same way, if we're now living in the last days before Jesus returns, and if he can return at any moment, you don't expect him to come tomorrow, right? But he says he's going to come in a time when nobody expects. Then how should we live? James is saying it doesn't make any sense anymore to live in the status quo as if Jesus Christ had never come in the flesh, as if Jesus Christ had never died and had never been resurrected, never ascended, and never promised to us that he was coming back to establish his kingdom in fullness. But there is a way of life that is appropriate to the new reality in which we live. And the Apostle Paul talks about this all the time. And one of the most common um, like metaphors that he used to understand that is light and darkness. You no longer live in the dark, you live in the light. You're no longer sleeping as if you're in the dark, but you're living as if you're living in the light. This is what he says in Romans chapter 13. Besides this, you know the time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. We are saved, yes, already, but we are not yet fully saved. We have not experienced all the blessings that are to come from our salvation. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but instead put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So what Paul is saying is there is a way of living that is appropriate to the darkness. But we know are no longer in the dark. We now live in the light. James is saying the same thing. Darkness as it pertains to money is James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. It looks like fraudulently cheating workers of their deserved wages. It looks like living a life of luxury and self-indulgence, hoarding all of this world's riches. 
And you're doing so in the last days. James is saying not only is it completely wrong, but it's irrational. It doesn't make any sense to do these things given the time it is. Because in the last days, the wisest thing to do is to follow what Jesus says. And this is what Jesus says. In the last days, you ought to lay up for yourselves treasures. You ought to not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Why, then, do we not lay up for ourselves treasures on earth? Well, it's because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, and it's because life is short. But you belong to God. And as someone who belongs to God, you know what time it is. You know that we're living in the last days, and you know where you will be when Christ returns. I think the reason that often we struggle with not storing up treasures in heaven, not having a as-the-Lord-wills attitude, but instead focusing on this life, even though we acknowledge how short it is, is because we're not quite sure that we're going to be there. We doubt. The only reason you won't store up treasures in heaven is if in some ways you doubt that you're going to be there or you have some sort of failure of imagination not knowing how much greater the treasures that await us are than the pale imitations that we have here in this life. Because you're in God's economy. You're not giving up treasure. You're rejecting one version of treasure for a far greater one, much more secure, lasting and satisfying. And if you're struggling with this failure of imagination, if you cannot grasp the glories of the treasures that await us, then there's a host of scriptural passages to turn to that God has given us to encourage us along the way. One of the best comes near the end of Revelation that describes the new heavens and the new earth that God will one day bring to pass. Right? So we talked about we live in the already and the not yet. We already experience God's kingdom here on earth but not in its fullness. But God gives a picture of what the fullness of his kingdom will look like in the book of Revelation. John is given a vision and he says, I saw a new heaven, I saw a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, behold, saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. See, the greatest presence or the greatest blessing of salvation is the very presence of God with us. And when God is with us in his fullness, what happens? It says he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Even death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore because these former things have passed away. So don't lay up treasures here on earth that are part of this heaven and earth that are passing away, these former things, but lay up treasures in heaven that's far more secure and lasting and beautiful. But there may be some of us as well who are uncertain, uncertain about whether truly you will one day experience these treasures. Like, how do you know? How do you really know? 
that you will one day experience God's treasures and presence in heaven. For you, hear Christ's words in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Jesus himself knows that our life, our short life here is hard, and it's a struggle. He says this, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, then I will come again and I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be with me also. If by faith you are united with Christ, if you've trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, his death and his resurrection has been applied into you, and if he is your one and only hope in life and salvation, then the promise is that even now during these last days, what is Jesus doing? He's getting the house ready. And why is he getting the house ready? Because he's preparing it for you. And the promise is that when he's done preparing the place for each one of us who have trusted in him, that he will return. And he will return to bring us back to him, that we might be with him not only now in the already, but in the forever of the not yet. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8 says this, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. And we pray this morning, asking, pleading that you would give us eyes to see that dynamic of walking by faith and not by sight is the one that you have called us while we live here on this earth during the last days. Yet it is so easy, God, to be distracted by the pool to lay up treasures and to store up treasures here on this earth Help us to realize, God, that it's only when we recognize how short this life is and how all of our lives belong to you that we can truly experience and enjoy this life for what you have designed it to be. Full of great joys and pleasures, but joys and pleasures that ultimately point us something to a far greater and deeper reality which is the blessings of your unmediated presence through your Son, Jesus Christ. Father God, I pray that the words of Revelation 21 and Jesus' encouragement to us in John 14 would be in our hearts this day, this week, in our lives moving forward, that we would be so enamored with the vision of the reality that you have given that awaits us, that we would be able to live the lives in the present that you have called us to, not in darkness, but in light. And I pray that we would trust in the words of our older brother, our Savior, our Lord Jesus. We thank you so much that even now he is at your right hand interceding for us, that even now he is preparing a place for us to be with you. We thank you, God, that when Jesus begins to do something, that he finishes it, he brings it to completion. And I pray, Lord, that we might trust in him all the more each and every day and that every day that we would grow in our love for him and our anticipation of our ultimate and complete union with him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.